0: I just play Dr. Online. Um, some sad news to start the show with. I found this out last week. I think I found this out after I'd already recorded last week's show. Uh, Tricia, a uh, long-time listener to the show, in fact, the longest-time listener to the show, had sent me a message on Facebook and asked if I uh, had heard this news. And the news is that, uh, well... There was a fellow that uh, used to be a semi regular uh, visitor to Z Talk Radio, the chat room, and to Dimland Radio uh, when the chat room is going, when the show is playing at 11 o'clock Central on Saturday nights. Uh, which, by the way, if you've got nothing better to do on a Saturday night, why not drop by the chat room at ztalkradio.com? And, and uh, yeah, it's after 11 o'clock Central. Or wherever, whatever the time is in your area, you can listen into the show, and and ch- and I'll be there in chat room. You can chat with me, and Trisha's usually there, so you can chat with her, and and there might be other people around, and one of those other people that would show up on occasion, very rare occasions, but it would uh, lately anyway, was um, Homie. Uh, his his actual name is Jimmy Holmes, and he was a um, he goes way back in Z Talk Radio. Uh, in the days when the chat rooms were much more active. And he would uh, he'd pop in every now and then, just kind of see how everybody's doing. See. You know, he, he was always welcome in the chat room and um, friendly and, and, and talkative, uh, or at least, you know, chattative online. And, uh, uh, he, and my, I, boy, it's been a while, but within the last few months, he had popped in with uh, Dimland Radio on a Saturday night and uh, just said, "Hey guys, you know how's it going?" And we said, "Oh, homie, it's good to see you." And and, uh, and he'd just he'd hang out for a little bit and then say, "Well, it's past my bedtime," and and he'd head on out. Um, now I became Facebook friends with uh, with homie uh, Jimmy Holmes and um, had Then, uh, like, as I said last week, sometime. Uh, popped in and said uh, did I hear that homie had died which I had not and I went to his Facebook page and it was filled with um, notes of condolences I added mine figuring you know family and friends are going to see that page and um, I, as I scrolled through I saw that there was a notice in there from um, a, a close friend or family member I can't remember which saying that uh, that uh, he had... Gone into hospice and just wanted people to know that that was what was going on with him. I don't know what his illness was. Um, I have no idea. I don't know exactly when he died, and it's uh, it's kind of sad. You know, it was nice to whenever he'd pop into the chat room. It was always nice to see him, and uh, and he's going to be missed. So, have you seen this ad? running on the TV, I know, who watches commercials? Well, I do. Uh, I've been seeing it when I watch some sporting events, baseball, uh, hockey, whatever sport I'm watching. Uh, mainly these days it's been sp- baseball and hockey. And um, it, it's an ad by ExxonMobil, you know, one of the big oil companies, the you know, the evil big oil companies that are destroying the world, right? And here's the thing. It just, the ad starts out and it shows a plant. It's a, it's a TV commercial. So it's, it's, it shows a plant and then it, the camera zooms in real close and goes into microscopic, looking at the plants on the, on the plant on a cellular level. And there's a voiceover, and the person is saying that uh, plants capture CO2. That's carbon dioxide, which is a greenhouse gas. And plants use CO2 as part of their, I don't know, food or part of their, it's what they take out of the atmosphere and then they put oxygen in. And that's what we use you know, to breathe. Although, you know, oxygen isn't the only thing that's in our atmosphere. We got lots of nitrogen up there and apparently we're getting more and more CO2 in the atmosphere. But okay, so plants will capture that some of that CO2, get it out of the atmosphere. And the voiceover person asked asks a question about you know, what if uh, industrial plants and the graphics are showing some factory of some sort with a great big smokestack. Uh, what if industrial plants could capture CO2 as well? If uh, industrial plants uh, if they have the technology allowing them to capture CO2 the way trees do, uh, we could help lower uh, carbon emissions. You know, car- CO2 you know, emissions, uh, greenhouse gases. We could lower emissions. And uh, carbon capture uh, is an important technology, and the experts agree. And that's why ExxonMobil is working hard to improve it, to improve the technology so that these these factories will you know, capture some of this CO2 that they would otherwise be putting off into the atmosphere. And then the ad says, and I quote this part, so plants can be a little more like plants. Have you seen that ad? When I see it, I think, what is it that ExxonMobil is trying to say there? I mean, I know what we're saying on the surface. Let's, Let's find ways to Keep CO2 from getting into the atmosphere. If uh, these plants can, these factories can somehow sequester it, capture that that CO2. That'd be a good thing because lowering emissions. And you know, but they never in the ad explain why you would want to lower emissions. They just say the experts agree that would be that would be a good thing, and they never explain why. When they they posted this ad on YouTube which I'll link to it on YouTube you can go to the show notes page which is at dimland.com click on the blog option you'll get to the show notes I'll link to the video for this commercial which was posted on YouTube by ExxonMobil it's their it's their page at least that's what it says on the on the title it says ExxonMobil um, they posted it with uh, with the uh, with the statement saying scientists believe, Carbon capture technology for industrial plants is critical for lower, lowering emissions. Uh, it was also interesting that the comments uh, was disabled. No, no comments were being allowed on the video because I, I can just imagine the uh, the, the green folks that uh, d- don't care for the big oil companies. Uh, yeah, I can imagine their are um, voicing a certain displeasure for ExxonMobil but uh, so why put up the comments this is why allow it Yeah, it's, they're just gonna cause problems but okay but it never says as I asked why would we want to capture co2 to lower emissions why What would what would be the reason that we would be doing that now I'm sure most of you listening are ahead of me on this. You you know what the reason for lowering CO2, lowering greenhouse gases in the atmosphere and that is to to you know to to stop and hopefully reverse you know global warming, climate change, which is what you know something that's been Sort of on the back burner for a long time. It's been getting a little more urgent, a little more urgent, but it just seems to be there's seems to be a a foot dragging in government to really do something to make some changes. I I read a a piece that was uh, written by a a 16 year old student uh, from uh, Sweden. And she, you know, it's a rather long-lengthy uh, piece, but I read it. And she was uh, talking about this, um, how uh, students are are you know, going out on strikes from their schools as a way to, you know, she, she's essentially saying to point to the adults who are in charge of things right now to fix this, to stop, you know, dragging your feet, stop finding reasons to to not make the changes that need to be made in order to stop pumping all this, all these greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. So she's, you know, she's talking about the, you know, the most dire uh, predictions of it, you know, by 2030 we will reach the tipping point and that's no return, Which just, it's all of our civilization is all going to die. Now I don't know that that worst case scenario is something that's going to happen by 2013, I don't know, but I don't want to find out either, so let's, you know, I'm trying to do what I can, uh, but I, you know, I can't afford an electric car, but an electric car here in Minnesota is just kind of pushing things down the road because the electricity we get in Minnesota comes mainly from coal, so it's still a greenhouse gas being thrown up into the atmosphere. It's still fossil fuels being burned in order to power electric cars. There are some parts of the country where most electricity might come from nuclear, which is something that I would really, I really, really, really want the green people, the green party people, the environmentalist folks, I really want them as a group to stand up and say, you know something? We were wrong about this nuclear power, okay? We're right about nuclear weapons. We don't like those and we don't want nuclear weapons. That's a terrible, terrible thing. Uh, but we were wrong about nuclear power. Uh, it may not be—and this is me talking—and I've heard this from other sources as well. But it may not be the the solution that's going to fix fix everything. But there's no greenhouse gases with nuclear power. No emissions to be to be worn to be going up into our atmosphere and changing. You know the the greenhouse gases, uh, water vapor, CO2, methane, that gathers up in the atmosphere, and it and it keeps heat that comes through from the sun, uh, infrared, I think, uh, well, whatever it is, the, the heat that comes through from the sun comes through the atmosphere, hits the earth, and some of it will bounce back up into the atmosphere, and go back into off into space. But with the greenhouse gases up there, that that pop that keeps that that heat from escaping so it comes back to us and we should get this warming and warming and warming and it's changing the acidity of the oceans and it's you know it's it's melting you know ice you know it's, it's the permafrost areas of the world that were fr- under ice or frozen at all times they're just starting to thaw and the methane gases from this and that's methane gases is another greenhouse gas that's beginning to be released it's 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 a snowballing effect that's happening And so I, I, you know, so this young woman, she writes this up and and it's, you know, she's very urgent about, you have to do something because she says, you know, when I get to be in my mid-20s, you know, what kind of a world am I going to have? That kind of thing. And I, uh, I applaud her for, you know, taking a stand. But I would love the green people to say, we need more nuclear power plants. It may not be what's going to be the answer in the end, but it will help along the line. There may be some other ways to get our power that will help us. Um, but anyway, so here's ExxonMobil doing this ad. And they, they don't say why they want to lower emissions. Well, they we want to lower emissions because of the greenhouse gases. It, Cl- climate change, global warming, which is being caused for the most part by human activity. There might be some other things involved in it, but really it's us. That's what's doing it. It's fossil fuels being burned going up into the atmosphere. That's the main bit. You know, sure, there's lots of livestock farting, <laughs> the methane going up there, there's all that too, but it's really the CO2 that's doing, that's the real driving force. And What makes me curious about this ad is that, isn't it the oil companies that are making it possible for governments to drag their feet? They're doing some of the same tactics that was uh, employed by, that were employed by the uh, to- tobacco companies as a way of trying to um, muddy the waters. It confused the public. About, you know, well, you know, not every doctor says that smoking causes cancer, and we don't know. There could be other things, and just you know, ways of trying to just kind of delay things to try to confuse the public. And isn't that some of the same stuff that's been doing? That the oil companies have been doing that they've been funding certain you know uh, people who will go out and and obfuscate. And, and show and so misinformation and confusion among the public so that it doesn't seem like it's that big of a problem when it really is that big of a problem so then this ad comes along and I and I watch it and I just think well what are you trying to say ExxonMobil are you tacitly admitting that well you know <laughs> these power plants you know they most of them run on coal or maybe natural gas and <laughs> Not the power plants, but these industrial plants, I should say, they run on natural gas and and, and coal and fossil fuels, you know, mainly. And well, <laughs> that's what we deal in. And <laughs> shucks, uh, you know, if we could help them capture some of that CO2, I mean, I, it's 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 a it's an odd ad. It's very odd. It seems. I mean, maybe we should take this as a good thing that uh, that the the at least ExxonMobil is saying um, we we don't want to come straight out and say yeah it's us or at least uh, we're a big part of the problem um, but we do want to admit that uh, you know we should be uh, you know that we're trying to help in lower lowering uh, greenhouse gases uh, which I mean I could be wrong I could be misperceiving this I could be falling for some you know lefty um propaganda saying that the oil companies are the ones that are you know trying to belittle this problem you know make this seem like it's not really a problem and um you know maybe all along they were they knew that they had to do something but it's just it just seems odd that there's this ad I'm not sure exactly what to make of it well I'll like I said I'll link to it in the show notes you check it out and see if you're you're Scratching your head a little bit, and it's I thought global warming wasn't a big problem, but now you guys are saying, Why do we want to, you know, why do we want to lower those emissions? Exxon, could you explain that to us? Well, all right, I got up to my first break. Uh, you're listening to Dimland Land Radio on the Z Talk Radio Network at uh, ztalkradio.com. I shall return after this break. <laughs> You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. I am living on channels. When oh when will someone design an exploding head emoticon? Please, someone, anyone. You're listening to Dimland Radio on ZTalk Radio Network. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? You're listening to ZTalk Radio Network. Welcome back to Dimland Radio here in the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dimfit Simmons. Can you, can you believe it's already been three years since Prince died? It's been three years, right? It was 2016, uh, April 21st or something like that in 2016. Wasn't that when it was? That, that song that we were coming out of break was one of his early songs called Dirty Mind. You know, the first time I saw Prince... Uh, it, it, I became aware of his existence was at about uh, the time that the album *Dirty Mind* was released. Um, there was uh, uh, I was over at a friend's house from my high school days, and I was in high school at the time. And um, we were watching some video show. Can't remember what it was. I don't know if it was Friday Night Videos or if it was something else. But it was we were watching some video show and they put on this video by prince and it was i i believe it was for the song dirty mind i'm not sure though but it was certainly from that album if you can recall that album remember what it looked you know, how he you know the 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 artwork on the cover is a photograph of prince he's wearing a uh, a trench coat uh, and um you know a banana hammock you know bikini brief uh uh, you know, uh, undies, uh, black. Uh, he's wearing uh, black uh, thigh high stockings and uh, and knee high boots or something like that, and uh, pretty much nothing else. <laughs> you know, no shirt You know, and he that's what he was wearing in the video, and I remember my friend and I just standing there or sitting whatever we were doing, watching this, just looking at who is this guy? And I guess we we knew he was from minnesota i i wonder i well i'm probably conflating memories cuz i can remember when um uh there was a uh, uh what was it called midnight special that was on back at about that time and that was on i think at like midnight on fridays something like that and it was being hosted by a, a couple of the fellows from the band uh, dr hook and medicine show or i think that's what it's called and uh, they were talking... They were introducing Prince uh, on the show. Now, I don't know... You see that Midnight Special was live acts uh, playing. And uh, so I don't think they showed a video. But they, they were talking about Prince... And saying that uh, you know this guy from Minneapolis, uh, he does all his his songs. He plays everything. He does all the uh, all, plays all the instruments, and he showed us in a video or something of him playing all the instruments. It's it's really mind blowing, man. Something like that. I don't know if that was the same show. If maybe they show videos on on Friday night or on the uh, midnight special. I don't remember them doing that. But whatever it was, we saw that, and it was just whoa who is this guy <laughs> and what isn't he wearing <laughs> he ain't got no pants on or a shirt yeah, it was it was a it was a couple of high school boys looking at that um little did we know the influence that prince would have on the world of music and the world in in his way and it's been three years yeah hard to believe Okay, oh, um, last week I did one of these things, which I hadn't done in a long time, and i forgot another one to do this week. It's not true, it's not true. I'm telling you, because I'm up here and you're nowhere. It's not true. So there. Okay, what is not true? It's not true... And you may have heard this, and I thought it was true. In fact, I was going to make a comment on Facebook about it, and and I decided, you know what? I'm going to look into this. <laughs> and I found out that it's not true that urine is sterile. It's not. There is bacteria in urine, uh, and why wouldn't there be? You're covered in bacteria. Your insides have bacteria. It's called your biome, your microbiome. It's that People have bacteria in and on them. In fact, I heard something somewhere at some point that the little microscopic critters and things that live on us and in us amount to more than us. I mean, we have so many cells in our bodies, and we have more of these things in us than that. I think that's true. I believe I heard that on the uh, Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, and it's, that's crazy. If it's true, if it's not true, then it's relieving. But, but the thing is, for the longest time, uh, the medical uh, the medical profession believed that urine was sterile, and people would say that. I remember hearing Dr. Drew, you know, the Love Lines guy, talk about how urine is sterile. It may have lower amounts of bacteria in it than, say, blood or sweat or things like that, but um, it still has it in there. They also they also looked this up on uh, you know, uh, mid uh, whatever is it, WebMD and and other science sites. Uh, Popular Science had an article about it. Um, that they also found that uh, women's the placenta. That protects the baby, is is does not it has bacteria inside that, it's not you know it's not sterile either it's not it is, because that's how we are, but what we found out not all that long ago is that there's good bacteria and there's bad bacteria, and it's it, there's a balance in our bodies of of good bacteria that helps us, and uh, some of that can be thrown off once in a while, uh, taking antibiotics. Antibiotics doesn't just kill the bad bacteria that's in you, but it kills the good stuff, too. And uh, yeah, so you know, that's not always good, but uh, it's better than dying of a disease or some infection. So, um, okay. Uh, so I got this, some of this information from uh, the Popular Science article. Uh, there was a study done of 90 women. That's not a large study, but there was a study done of 90 women. And the study was done in 2014, or it was published in 2014. So it wasn't all that long ago. And uh, Dr. Linda Brubaker, she's the dean of Loyola University, Chicago, Stritch School of Medicine. Uh, she and her team found that uh, found that there is bacteria in urine of healthy women. As well as uh, women with uh, overactive bladders issues. Uh, it's, it's, so it's just there. It's, it's, it's not sterile. And, um, and you shouldn't drink it. <laughs> Unless you're Bear grills or grease. What is his name? The survivor guy? Apparently he would drink urine on a drop of that. Oh, did you drop that hat? Uh, excuse me, I gotta go drink some urine. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so, um, j- urine isn't, it's it, being sterile. Well, apparently, it's not true. It's not true, it's not true. I'm telling you, 'cause I'll fear you're nowhere. It's not true. So there. Okay. <laughs> Well, 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 More and more cases of measles are breaking out across America. Something like 700 cases in America? <sighs> yep, it's happening. There's actually, there in California, in two universities in California, um, UCLA and Cal State LA, have... Uh, uh, had uh, quarantines set up for uh, several students and staff members, something like 300 in, altogether between the two universities. Uh, they had been um, quarantined so they until they could be determined that they were not contaminated uh, by the measles virus. Apparently, there was a student that was infected with measles that had been ten- attending the school, and... When that was found out, they had to try to figure out wh- who came in contact with that student, and they had to, you know, start to quarantine these folks and check them out and make sure that they don't, they don't have it, it, it because measles is highly uh, infectious. It uh, apparently, you know, the measles uh, germ virus, but hangs around. I think it's a virus. Hangs around in the air. Uh, for a couple of hours, so and you and you can inhale it it's just not it's not having to get some fluid on you or something like that it's just somebody coughs and it just hangs in the air, you can breathe that in, and you could get measles and measles is nasty measles can kill measles can cause some nasty, terrible problems, and death being one of them and it's it's the uh, there's a there was a CBS News uh, report that I saw online where I'm getting some of this information, and uh, there's a fellow on there that they talked to. He's a he's a doctor. His, his name is Doctor uh, Lapook, uh, and he says um, you know, he's asked why are these cases, these outbreaks of of measles, and he's he pretty much puts it out there: it's because people aren't getting their kids and themselves vaccinated. Uh, there's, um, I can't remember which state it was, but uh, a large um, Hasidic Jew, Jewish community uh, has uh, measles going through that because they don't vaccinate. And he's, I'd say I have a quote from in, him in here where he's talking about the anti-vax movement. He says the results, essentially saying that the results of the uh, anti-vax movement, quote, uh, the consequence uh, that is uh, a disease that we thought we had gotten rid of is now roaring back. That's the consequence of, of uh, the anti-vax movement. So we can um, you know we can say well done, the anti vaxxers and uh, well done Jenny McCarthy, and uh, well done uh, no longer a doctor uh, Andrew Wakefield. Well done. Very good. You know, vaccinate your kids. Uh, it's it's not. It's not a, you know. It's, people will talk about well, it's not a hundred percent. Well, that's true. It's not a hundred percent effective. It's not a hundred percent safe. But it's very effective and very safe. You're not going to get autism from it. Your kids aren't going to get autism from it. It's yeah. You know, it's. It, you you it's going to protect you against these illnesses now. I saw something on, on Facebook where somebody was talking about they were sharing a post that the information came from this uh, the Centers for Disease Control and, and, and Prevention. You know it's the United States governmental agency that is in charge of trying to figure out this disease stuff. And one of the tasks that they have each year is to figure out which uh, strain or strains of influenza is going to be making it through, the, uh, you know the United States. Uh, and the world, but uh, mainly for, you know for the United States, so they can recommend to the, uh, the vaccine manufacturers which strains need to be protected against. They, they look at the trends and they say, okay, these, it looks like these strains of flu, because there's several of them, these ones, you know, these two or three look like they're going to be prevalent, so we need to make sure that we have vaccines that will will counteract those two or three strains or how many, however many they have. And every now and then, and maybe more often than not, they miss one. And they say, wow, we didn't expect that one to come. Or there's a new one. This is, well, we've got a new one here. We've got to develop a vaccine to deal with this new one. And that's the tricky part about the influenza vaccine. And so when I saw this shared on Facebook, somebody put this up there where the CDC is saying that, in the last couple of years the i think they said that the vaccines were only about 50% effective and i the, the impression i got from the person who was sharing it was of a sort of a scoffing nature <laughs> 50% effective yeah, and it's that okay true that's not 100% effective that's true but 50% is better than 0 it's it's better than not getting vaccinated and taking your chances at least you have a 50% protection level that you wouldn't have by not getting vaccinated. It's okay, 50% maybe not great, but it's better than not getting vaccinated. Isn't it? Doesn't that make sense? So, well, if they can't cover me 100%, I'm not bothering. You know, you're going to be in for some disappointments in life if you need 100% in order for you to, I don't know, Move forward. Anyway, uh, I'm going to take my uh, second break. Wow, I got there quick. Wow, it's just weird how things fly. And I have a um, well, it's kind of a disturbing story to talk about. I'm going to delve. I'm going to dive and do a slightly deep dive into something that uh, happened some years ago. Because, uh, well, I'll tell you when I get back. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Doctor Dimfit Simmons. Sit tight. <laughs> And you may find yourself living in a shotgun shop. And you find- You're listening to Z Talk Radio, the number one choice for music, sports, news, and talk radio. So keep that dial locked to ZTalkRadio.com. <laughs> Remember, there's no hugging in the chat room. You're listening to Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. Warmer weather in Minnesota means deer ticks are now feeding in a wooded area near you. Fight the bite. To avoid Lyme and other diseases from deer ticks, use tick repellent. This message from the Minnesota Department of Health. Getting some Z's. Getting some Z's. Getting some Z's. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Listen to Z Talk Radio. On ZTalkRadio.com. And welcome back to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Doctor Dimford Simmons. Uh, I'm going to talk about um, uh, something that uh, that was brought to mind recently when I I heard this song uh, I'm gonna play about a minute and a half of this song uh, which I can do because it's fair use kind of thing and I'm going to talk about what this song talks about uh, but you I want you to hear it um, it's um, well I'm just gonna get, get it playing in the back here and then I'm gonna have to do some trickeration when I Turn the volume down But just, just uh, Have a listen to this it's, It'll start Trust me See It's coming That's a song called Jordan, Minnesota. woo Minnesota! It came out in about 1985, I think it was. Somewhere around there, 1985. And it was in, it's a, the name of the band is Big Black. They're out of Chicago. Uh, they can be considered a, I guess, post-punk, hardcore... I'm not sure exactly what the musical flavor they are. And they're not everybody's cup of tea, and they can be pretty damn intense. As you could hear, what was going on in there. But uh, um, I saw them in concert back in those days, and it was one of the loudest shows that I've been to. Started off with the the lead singer guy, the guy the voice that you were hearing. a uh, fellow named Steve Albini, who was a record producer as well as a, a member of bands, and he's produced some fairly uh, big albums out there. He he produced uh, the Pixies' first full-length album. He uh, also produced. Um, Nirvana's uh, last studio album in utero. So he's had some, you know, he's done some work in the field. um, And he starts the show by uh, lighting off a whole, I guess, brick of uh, firecrackers. And um, that was about as loud a sound I heard at First Avenue, that's where I saw them, uh, as I've ever heard. And I don't know if it was amplified or not, but boy... And then it seemed to go on forever. But anyway, they wrote this song about Jordan, Minnesota, which was inspired by. And you might have some vague recollection of this. This was this was something that happened back in the nineteen eighties um, yeah, around this country. Uh, it wasn't exactly the Satanic Panic, but it was it, it was sort of entwined with it. There were elements of the satanic panic involved in there. And it was the, this idea, it, it, it really sprang to life in California, as so many things do, in the McMartin daycare case, where allegations of ritualistic uh, sexual and physical abuse of children in daycare had come to light. And it just ballooned, and suddenly, and then it it started happening in pockets all around the country. And Jordan, Minnesota, which is a a rural town, uh, had it happen to them. And so I'm going to read. I I went. I wanted to talk about it because I heard the song, and I went, "That's right. This is about that Jordan, Minnesota thing." And I think that turned out to be nothing. It turned out to be there was nothing. There was no there, there. There was no ritualistic child sexual abuse and murder and all this other stuff that was was being accused of uh, or being alleged to have happened. Uh, It sprang up in Jordan when, well, here, I'll read. This is an article article from People Magazine. This is how national it got. It got in People Magazine, the New York Times wrote about it uh, The New York Times uh, their article which was uh, uh, September 6 1984 was about the damage of the reputation of the town of Jordan Minnesota um, and I and I was thinking you know having read that read that article and again you can go to the show notes page at dimland.com and click on the show notes and you'll get to a lot of the links for these things as I was reading that article I thought what if this this panic? Had taken place today with the internet and the 24-hour news cycle, just how much more damaging it would have been. I mean, this had this was wide-reaching. Uh, I mean, this went all over. People were learning about this little town in Minnesota. You know, I mean, in New York City. You know, the New York Times were, was writing about it. Um, the Chicago Tribune did an article about it, and that appeared. I don't know, when did that one appear? Um, that was in February, 5, uh, 5, it was February 15, 1985, so this was after, this would be in the aftermath of this crazed thing. Um, so what had happened, well, I'll get to that in a moment. Um, this, I'm going to read to you, is from this is the first few paragraphs from the uh, uh, Time Magazine article uh, written by Peter Carlson. This is dated October 22, 1984. Jordan, Minnesota is a town with three streets, four churches, a championship high school football team, and an atmosphere heavy with fear. It is a town where people shun old friends, where mothers forbid their children to enter the homes of neighbors, where parents have stopped taking their kids to babysitters because they don't know whom to trust. Jordan is a town that buzzes with a cacophony of charges and countercharges, talk of sex rings and witch hunts, and rumors of acts so dark, so vile, that they are merely hinted at. It is a place where fear is so pervasive and so deep that some parents admit, sadly, that they are afraid to show affection for their own children, lest they themselves come under suspicion of unspeakable acts. Jordan was not always like this. Until a year ago, it was, so far as anyone knew, a typical Midwestern village. A good Christian community of 2,900 people, founded by German immigrants in the 1850s as a farming town. It evolved into a bedroom community of Minneapolis, which lies 35 miles away, yet it still seemed rural, a safe haven from crime and social upheaval of urban America. But then, on September 26, 1983, Christine Brown complained to Jordan Police that a neighbor had molested her teenage daughter. During police questioning, the daughter named other children who had allegedly been molested, and uh, and those children named other adults as their abusers. Arrest followed arrest as the scandal spread. By June... Twenty-four grown-ups and one juvenile in the Jordan area had been charged with sexually abusing more than 30 local children who ranged from two months to 17 years of age. Among those arrested were a local policeman, a deputy sheriff, and ironically, Christine Brown, the mother whose complaint had sparked the investigation. I was dumbfounded, said Alvin Erickson, Jordan police chief since 1966. The thing just kept growing and growing. We never anticipated having anything like this on our hands. The arrests were shocking enough, but the stories behind them were ghastly. According to the alleged victims, and one of the accused who agreed to testify after many of the charges against him were dropped in plea bargaining, The village harbored rings of adult sex abusers who incestuously victimized their own children and other children during ritualistic sex parties involving sadism and bestiality. Some of the children describe a bizarre sexual variation of hide-and-seek in which children who were found were taken to a bedroom and abused. The accusations were so grave that reaction in Jordan went from revulsion to disbelief and then, at least among a sizable minority of townspeople, to charges that overzealous prosecutors were using the children to engage in a witch hunt. It's like Nazi Germany, claims Gail Anderson, a former mayor of Jordan who was prosecuted by Morris's office for unrelated misconduct. Good law is being misused, the focus of these attacks is the chief prosecutor, Scott County Attorney Kathleen Morris. The county attorney says local realtor Anna Sund- Sandy is a vindictive, power-hungry lady who has a grudge against Jordan. Now, that's just the first few paragraphs of that article, and this was during the throes of this what came to be known as a as a panic uh, that was that took the country by storm. Uh, it turns out that, uh, the I guess, the one person at the beginning who, according to this article, that uh, the mother, Christine Brown, accused of uh, um, att- uh, attacking her daughter, uh, I'm assuming that this was a fellow named James Rudd, who uh, was the only person who was actually convicted of anything, of any sexual uh, abuse, uh, conduct, assault. He, he was the only person that was actually convicted uh, in this, in this town, uh, there were um, something like twenty-two other adults who were um, who were indicted. Two other. There was only one trial took place of a, of a mother and fa- father, a couple. Those two uh, were acquitted. And then, and by then, the state attorney general, uh, Skip Humphrey, son of Hubert Humphrey. Had uh, come forward and said that this this county uh, prosecutor, this Kathleen Morris, who you know well intentioned, but was just botched this thing completely. And but there really wasn't anything that, there that happened. Uh, and so when you hear in this article, uh, if you recall in the song that I played. It's just, uh, you know, um, stay with me, my five-year-old, stay with me, play hide-and-seek. That's a reference to the hide-and-seek games that were, if you were found, you you were going to be sexually abused. Um, they found that uh, that this nothing actually happened. The one guy, and that he was probably the guy that gave testimony for uh, lower charges, saw an opportunity. So, Here's uh, So in 2015, a fellow named uh, um, uh, Richard Beck, I think is his name, he, uh, he had uh, published a book called We Believe the Children, A Moral Panic in the 1980s. And this was about this whole, not just, just Jordan, Minnesota, but the McMur- McMartin case and this other stuff that was taking place around the country at the time. And I'm going to read this. This is from NPR, the Minnesota Public Radio site. Uh, it's dated August 21, 2015 i'm going to read this piece for you Uh, in the 1980s hundreds of daycare workers across the country were questioned and investigated on suspicions of child abuse many were tried and convicted of horrible sex crimes involving the children uh, in their care it was a wave of abuse unlike any the media had ever covered Uh, stories about the dangers of daycare and babysitters were splashed across newspapers tv and the radio then the cases started to unravel. The prosecutions, Richard Beck writes, were the product of a decade-long outbreak of collective hysteria on par with the Salem witch trials. The confessions of children across the country turned out to be the product of course of interviews, scared young witnesses, and overzealous investigators. Beck's new book, We Believe the Children, a Moral Panic in the 1980s, explores the factors that spurred the wild allegations and investigations. He shows how lawyers, doctors, parents, and legislators, all with the best intentions, started and spread the hysteria. One of the cases Beck examined, examines unfolded in Scott County, that's in Minnesota, that's where Jordan is, When a child came forward with allegations against a garbage collector, it kicked off an investigation that ended with 24 residents of Jordan, Minnesota, accused of abusing 37 children. Scott County Prosecutor Kathleen Morris led the charge. The children's allegations were violent and horrific, They reported seeing multiple children murdered, mutilated, and abused. In Jordan, Beck said, investigators dressed up as fishermen to dredge the river, looking for the bodies of the the young witnesses had said had been dumped there. The wild extent of the children's recollections is one of the things that led to cases nationwide falling apart. In a case in Los Angeles, one child identified Chuck Norris as having been present during the abuse, an example of how impressionable the witnesses were. Years later, some of the witnesses described being questioned for hours and separated from their parents' stressors which made them just start making stuff up. Morris' aggressive prosecution caught the attention of Skip Humphrey, Minnesota's attorney general at the time. The office of the attorney general began its own investigation and issued a scathing report on how the Jordan abuse allegations had been handled. Similar critical investigations took hold around the country. Many charges were dropped. The hysteria began to be exposed as just that hysteria. In Jordan, it was determined that the investigation had been so mishandled, it was impossible to tell what had really occurred. The biggest ramification, Beck said, uh, of the 80s panic is that fairly omnipresent feeling that children or that people have uh, that children are in danger, specifically sexual danger, especially when they're out in public alone. Children are actually safer today than they have been in decades, Beck said, but the wave of accusations and prosecutions helped convince the nation otherwise. And in one of the pieces that uh, I was referring to, the, uh, um, the Chicago Tribune one, um, about the aftermath, uh, where you had one person convicted, you had one couple acquitted, the charges dropped against all the others, and at the time of that article, which was in, in, in February of 1985, there were still 14 children of the 27 that had been taken away from their parents still in foster care, um the couple that was tried and acquitted they they got their three sons returned to them two of those sons had testified against their parents and um, they were they were have there were problems the mother said uh, that they the boys seemed to be angry and much more aggressive uh, they were receiving therapy to deal with this stuff and that article ended with um with uh, with a, with a a doctor in the town of Jordan had been there for 35 years. His name is Paul uh, Stoller. He said it, it will never be the same for them, uh, the kids involved, but actually for the families and everybody. But uh, he says, we know something happened, but, uh, but what we don't know is who is guilty, and that's hard to live with. Uh, actually, <laughs> it seems like nobody was guilty except for that one guy. And everybody else was um, guilty of hysteria. It seems like it didn't actually happen. This is why critical thinking helps. Um, they didn't understand the psychology of kids a little at, so much at that time. I guess they didn't understand what what the kids were, you know, that pressuring kids into giving this kind of information that the kids would just make stuff up. They didn't. You know, it, it's it's really sad that this happened, and I think that Pizzagate thing. You know, the sex ring, Pizzagate, and Hillary Clinton, this, that, that conspiracy theory that was floated during the, or just prior to the last election, or the 2016 election. Yeah, that's sort of, that's a smaller version of this kind of thing. It's kind of sad. Uh, and I don't know how their lives are now. I hope that they're better, but uh, it had to be awful for them. And I do have one cool thing for this week. It's a photograph. It's from our family, the Fitzsimmons family. It is a photograph of my great-great-grandfather. That would be on my father's side, so my my dad's grandfather, my grandfather's father. You know how that works. Well, his name was Dr. Walter Fitzsimmons, and he spelled Fitzsimmons with two M's. Somewhere between uh, great-grandfather Walter Fitzsimmons and grandfather Ralph Fitzsimmons and M disappeared. And I'm not exactly certain on the story. My brother says that he had heard that they wanted it to be a more Irish name and pronounced it uh, Fitzsimons, except we still said Fitzsimmons. I, I, I don't know. And my dad has never been very good at giving me an answer about it. I think he probably just doesn't know. I don't know. Or maybe he just doesn't want to tell me. I, I don't know. What this I just don't know. Anyway, Dr. Walter Fitzsimmons Worked or taught at the University of Minnesota, and the picture that has been in our family for years, um, it shows uh, uh, shows Dr. Fitzsimmons sitting on a table at one end, and his he's got three or four students standing around the table at the at the other end, and on the table is a cadaver, and the cadaver has some open parts to the body, you know the. Um, you know, part of his legs, the skin's pulled back. Now it's black and white, so it shouldn't be too gory. But it's really cool. It's a cool picture of the time. And my great grandfather had an awesome mustache. Those handlebar thing. He could look pretty stern too. There were some other pictures of them with them looking. Uh, you know, like you don't mess with me. Good night, our doctor. Good night, Frau Blucher. Well. You'll go to the show notes page. You'll see that photograph. It's not too gross. It's but it's very cool. It's very. I, I don't know what year it was. I'll try to find out. Uh, you've been listening to Dimland Radio on the Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. Be skeptical. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Uh, and uh, I am your host, Jim Doctor Dim Fitzsimmons, reminding you to sleep with the lights off. Has been a production of the Z Talk Radio Network. And now a message to our competitors. Thanks, thanks for, for tuning us in. in.